Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey everyone, Yas here, and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask, and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends, and don't forget to get in touch, guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at the Coaches Net. Once again, that's at the Coaches Net. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey, guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest with me today. My guest today is Neil Harding. Morning, Neil. How's it going, man? Good morning, Yas. Good to see you, as always. Likewise, likewise. Neil, just um, before we get into the thick of it, brief insight, who you are, what you do, and we'll go from there, man. Uh, so, currently, um, I'm working at West Bromwich Albion Football Club. Uh, full-time role, I am the Sporting Excellence Professional Coordinator, um, which is uh, doing the education for the scholars. And part-time alongside that, I'm fortunate enough to still be coaching on the grass with the under-14s, which is uh, probably a favourite age group because of the challenges they bring. So, yeah, still enjoying it, still there. Love that, love that. And Neil, I'm, I'm really in, um, interested there because one of the key things I said about the podcast and one of the reasons why I brought it together was really to show people that one, we've all got this aligned passion of the game, which is great, but coaching is not for all of us. I'm not saying it's that's the case for you, but you've got, you know, sport and excellence coordinator. More specifically, there's so many different roles we can go into and still be involved in this process. So let's take you right back to the start of your journey. How did you get into it? What, you know, where did coaching come for you? Yeah, so um, always played as a young boy, uh, Birmingham Boys Junior Leagues, uh, played for Kings Heath Concord, which at the time was a very successful club. We had we had lots of good times, good memories. Didn't really have a coach 
my first coach, if we can call him a coach in the nicest possible way, um, he was a hairdresser, owned a hairdresser's uh, not far from where I lived. And coaching for us was, there's the pitch, there's a ball. I don't think we even had bibs. And have a game. And within that, he just encouraged us all the time. There was I, I don't ever recall getting told off or told not to do anything. It was just almost like I don't think he might. I don't think he really knew. I think he just had a passion for football and the local community and being a businessman. He just wanted to help keep the kids happy and off the streets, really. Yes. Yeah, so um, I was just going to hit just on that. Then, do you think that maybe at the time you could have taken for granted actually just how important just being encouraging as a coach could be? Rather than, you know, what a lot of people think, you know, you've got to step in, you've got to, get, you've got to give them the answers, if you like, and you've got to, you know, you've got to be constantly giving them information. And I think there's a lot of coaches out there, certainly from my experiences, that think they have to do that to be considered to be coaching, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, I, um, I think he, subconsciously, he's it, it, helped shape who I am, really, mate, in a sense, because, and I've never really thought about this until the question you've just asked, Um I don't think he'd have known the answer as is, is to why he probably didn't stop it, really, to help us. I genuinely think he just wanted us to have fun and, and smile um, and socially engage with each other. Um, when I say help shape me, I'm very much around uh, player development. I see myself as a genuine development coach. Results don't really bother me, mate. I believe that um, uh, I'm a dad of four boys the ones that compete in anything um, I just say to them look you can't be responsible for other players in your team you can come off that football pitch knowing you did the best that you could do and as long as you're smiling when you come off you're in the right place and I think that's probably something that looking back now that as a 9, 10, 11 year old that's probably what Tony and the fact I remember his name Tony Hill good guy. Um, the fact that he just instilled that in us is probably part of my beliefs and, and values now as a coach. Awesome. Yeah, obviously, we, we were speaking briefly off air, you know, you, you, you talk about your sporting excellence coordinator role there. Um, obviously, when we met, you know, almost seven, eight years ago now, I know when we did our A license together, you, you were coach development at the time, your coach education, as they called it back then. Um, how did you go from that how did you get into that? And, you know, where did, you, where did your coaching journey really begin? Because obviously you talked there about Tony having a positive impact on you as a young player. Where did the coaches start coming into it? And yes. how did that then de develop into coach development? Yeah, so the coaching came in my, uh, my sister's ex-husband, actually. Uh, I was 26. I just left a job. Um, and he just said to me, no, you, you used to love football, didn't you? And I went, yeah. And he said, well, there's a, a college the other side of town that's doing this course. He said, I actually met the bloke and mentioned yourself. And I went, okay, what's that about? And he told me about uh, an MVQ level two and a program they run that will enable you to get your junior team managers, today's level one, and your FA level two coaching certificate, uh, all as part of the course alongside your MVQ. And he just pushed me into it, really, in the nicest way. He just said, look, you should go for it. You're at a loose end. You don't know what to do. You're passionate about it. Go and have a go. And it was the best thing i ever done, mate. And I still see him and thank him to this day because I would never have known about that course. It wasn't 
uh, kind of a subject when I was at school. PE was PE. You couldn't get GCSEs for it. You know, it was, it was just a, a leisurely thing that you'd done. Um, so I went to North Birmingham College. Uh, I met Stuart Hall, who's a very well-known uh, coach educator, still, still in the game somewhere in the world. And Tom Stack and uh, Pat Wright. And they took me on a coaching journey and I absolutely loved it, mate. Absolutely loved it. I took great pride in trying to be the best coach I could be. Um, and Stuart was actually a cadre manager at Birmingham City then. And I lived down the road and he invited me up and I said, just come around, get around the coaches, have a look, ask questions. So that was the start of it all. I was 26. So just, just building on that, because obviously, you know, similar to yourself you know it was never part of my plan to go into coaching I had never even considered it to be fair um but like yourself you know I, I enjoyed the game and you know um I came to a situation in my life where actually the opportunity presented itself to go and do a coaching course and I did it and then I kind of not really looked back since and you know it's been like, like you said probably the best thing I've done for myself really in that it's given me a sense of purpose a sense of direction and kind of it's just I've, you know, I've even at times where I've kind of come away from it I've always ended up coming back to it because it's the only thing I've ever really felt like I knew what I was doing. Um, we spoke off air briefly around how coach education, coach development has changed. Let's just go back to that experience that you had there. What were some of the biggest things that you took away from that period of time where you did those qualifications? And what do you think has stayed consistent? Because obviously, you know, as coaches, we develop, we learn, we change. Um but it's still some fundamental things that we hold on to. So what, what, what were some of the biggest influences for you back then? And what's kind of still stayed consistent now? Uh, so the, the importance of the technical detail around player development, uh, individuals having information to help improve themselves. Um, it's changed slightly. Uh, when we spoke off air about it. Um, Ooh, how, do I, how do I phrase it? I, I think we don't need to stop the session as much as we probably used to. The old stop stand still. However, I still do use that sometimes if it's needed. I don't think one size fits all. Um, but I think we've just probably shifted away a little bit from putting this detail in, which for me, is we, we talk about teaching basic fundamentals. For me, basic fundamentals is kicking foot, non-kicking foot, body shape, protection, all that stuff. I mean, I remember my level two and it was my favourite qualification I'd done. I really enjoyed it, mate. Um, and my, I had to teach or improve the inside and outside hook turn with a group of players. And my small-sided game was um, improving coaching, uh, improving defensive third when you have an imbalance. It's kind of like disorganised defending um, and how you in, stepped in to help the player. And we used to have like a coaching formula then. It was almost like spotty, ask the question, let me provide you with a solution and then let them have a go. Once they had a go, right on your next touch, as you're going to play live. And you'd see if they do it. And if they didn't, some coaches would probably stop it again. I never would. I'd just let it go because learning takes a little bit of time to sink in. And sometimes in the old days, because the person who was opposing you knew what you were going to do, they'd cheat a little bit and stop you doing it, uh, which was great because 
I used to, I, I learned then as an educator to say, well done, Yaz, I've showed you how to do that. When the ball, on your first touch, we're playing live. If Neil cheats and comes across, you might have to do another way. So yeah. it allowed them that freedom to yeah. express themselves. Uh, and the other thing with the coach developers is I feel um, I, I was really lucky to have some really good coach educators, mate, that are, uh, what I'd class to be big educators in the game and, and you know, something like that Hall of Fame that the FA have, and rightly so. They were fantastic. And I think those people I hold in, like, really high regard now, and I think it's probably them that made me want to go further and, and almost take it as a career mm. because of the environment they, they set out for me. So let's just, let's just, you know, just build on that and develop that a little bit further because you, you talked about, you know, being... An, top class coach educates what, what 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 does that look like for you because you know coach education has changed massively over the years um the focus of where coach education takes coaches on their journey um the lens that you know that we look through as coach developers in terms of what's important and what's not important or what are fundamental things to kind of include within the content of courses and I guess the 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 perception of the coach development may have changed massively as well. But for those that maybe haven't experienced what it was then, in comparison to what it is now, what would you say made those guys in particular top coach developers? I think firstly, uh, yes, when I was fortunate enough to be on them courses, I really felt proud that I was sitting in front of these people that work for our national governing body. Uh, the FA, amazing. At the start of my journey, I never thought it would take me where it's took me. And I remember seeing, um, like, Stuart Hall, as an example, doing the first one and thinking, I'd love your job. It's amazing. I, I would love to be standing there and have your knowledge to be able to help these people. And, and his personality was, again, something that I looked at and thought, Learning takes place when people are smiling, when people are happy. It's almost like that saying, uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think Stuart just set that tone, really, and some of the other educators. And then progressing through that, remember meeting uh, Pete Sturge and John Allpress on my old uh, full youth award at Keele University and just, just being in awe just looking at them and thinking they're wearing that tracksuit, the three lions. It was just like, oh, God, how do I get to you? How, do I, how, how could I ever be you? You know, to do this for a job, someone pays you for something I'm so passionate about. Um, mm. And that's what really drove me. And it, and it was never the football ability of those people. It was never their, it wasn't even really their knowledge, which, which, which was amazing. But you don't know how good that is till you get to know the person. And I think... Just the way they treated us, the way they gave us that respect, it was it was two way. Um, and again, for me, sitting in that classroom and seeing these people in them tracksuits and just thinking, wow, I just respected it from the start. And I think sometimes that's probably lacking today. I would mm. never question them. I guess it was just yeah. like my questions to them would have been, uh, how do I do that? How, how, yeah, make me better. I just had a real first. It was like. You know that golden age of learning, that yeah. 10 or sponges? I just felt like a sponge at probably about 28, 29 then. And it was just like, I just want more. 
it's it's interesting because you know you know to start off with you know, I think come back to my own journey and I remember just I remember like it was this morning to be fair like I just sitting coming into the room on level one and I'm seeing these tutors at the front um and I just it's literally similar to what you said I think you lot are bloody lucky man you lot get to teach people football like I, I don't know what it's going to take for me to get to that but from then I just wanted to be able to be in that position where I could do that and have that influence and have that that impact and add value in that way but you know, listening to you today, you know, it just resonates with me a lot. And I think to myself, what 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 do you think the t- coaches of today coming into courses now are thinking? Do you think do you think there's that same that same perception? Do you think there's even an appreciation for that type of thing, or do you do you think it's even what it is? Um, it's a good question. Um, yeah, so I think it's down to the individual, yeah, as to who's coming through the classroom door and what do they want. I think where we sound very familiar is we recognised it as how do I get to do this, talk about football, show you how to play football, share my knowledge and somebody's going to pay me some money to do that was just amazing. And I think there'll be a lot of people that still want that pathway. Mm. I think we were lucky coming through. I think today it's a bit of a saturated market. I think we're producing a lot of coaches, which is fantastic. Um, Are we producing... Almost too many in the sense of if it is a pathway they want as a career, is there enough jobs for those mm. people? So it's almost do we have to educate them on? Uh, I'll give you a perfect example. My oldest boy is in the third year at university, wants to work full time in football. I'm trying to say to him almost maybe look at a teaching qual, be a PE teacher in school, part time academy coach, mm. best of both worlds. Something to fall back onto as well. Yeah, because we'll always need teachers um, and there's you, you're probably more chance of having a job in that than there will be in, in football. Um, and I think still, as much as it's grown, uh, pay scales are very different in both. And I think as a young person, I can probably afford to work full time in a football club. But as you get older, um, you know, you, you might not always get the right job that enables you to do that. And I think we lose some really good people because of that. And I know the FA and the clubs are addressing that as well with the Premier League and the E-Triple. Mm. So, yeah. so just, you know, it's just it's interesting because you talk there about the younger generation. And do you, do you, do you think there's almost um, an element of them just not being aware of the challenges that exist in the industry and just hoping that doing the qualification is going to get them straight into it now? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I have this feeling, mate, and I, I say to the young coaches, um, obviously working at the club here, a lot of them know me anyway, um, and they know the roles I've been in. So they, they ask advice. And I think when I hear a lot of young coaches, and not, not just necessarily here, just on a coaching pathway, young universities, sometimes I'll go and do a chat down at a uni and speak to them. And what I'm finding is, with this generation coming through, is you can get qualified quick, but you don't get good quick. And I think that's a scary thing for me. It's almost like when I was delivering as a coach educator, after a level two, as an example, even for somebody who was a really strong candidate, I'd probably put go and do nine to 12 months now on the grass mm. for applying for the UA for B. I think some of them now pretty much finish a level two and start applying. No, whether yeah. they get on it or not, I don't know. But yeah. I think the process needs to be better. 
uh, in the sense of who we're picking for UEFA Bs because I think as an ex-head of coaching, it's very difficult to find coaches that you probably need in a football club. And I think, do we go then to, does it become the club's responsibility to help shape and mould these new young people into, uh, as an example, the club I'm at on? Do we need to shape the next young cohort coming through into what we want a West Bromwich Albion coach to be? Our beliefs, our values, our pillars. And, he, and is that part of our role, I think, possibly... <laughs> Yes. I think there's two sides of it, isn't it? Because, you know, if you've been at West Brom, Cat One Academy, for a young coach coming into that environment, you might get the opportunity to do that, right? Because they'll look at it and say, well, this is Cat One. I don't, you know, there isn't really much higher to go or whatnot. Therefore, they've already kind of maybe committed themselves to being with you guys. Whereas that same scenario, maybe going in at a Cat Three, even probably a Cat Two, to be fair coach is always looking at it as a stepping stone to get to cat one right yeah absolutely so then, then now, now you know you, you kind of it's a kind of catch 22 well yeah we're going to bring in someone that we know is maybe not quite at the right standard um we're going to try and mold them but actually we're not going to get the time to mold them because they're just going to get lost as soon as an opportunity comes up yeah, yeah. so i I'll, I'll give a i'll give a live example uh yes um, when I was a head of coaching at a Cat 3 uh, Academy, and I, I love that role, lovely club, you know, really good community club. Um, one day I had a conversation, just an informal chat uh, with a, a high up member of staff there, and they said, Neil, we're starting to lose some of our coaches to some of the local uh, clubs around us. Geographically, where we are, we're probably the only Cat 3. Yeah. And then you've got big cat ones and a couple of big cat twos around us and i thought oh am i am i, am I doing something wrong here <laughs> are they leaving because of me um and then on reflection what i realized was it was a bit of a double-edged sword yeah if i was going to be as good a good head of coaching and have a passion to help develop these coaches the reason maybe some of these higher category bigger clubs are coming in for them is because we have good coaches. Yeah. So it was almost like, uh, is it uh, is it because of the success of the role? Uh, and I'm not saying it, it was a very difficult time because it was during COVID. So it was really difficult to to really do what I really had planned, like as in CPD stuff, really, bringing in yeah. guests, et cetera. Um, but yeah, and, and it was almost like, look, if, you know, if I'm doing a bad job and no one comes in for our coaches, maybe that's a reflection on me. So I, t I took it as a positive, really, and I had to hopefully show that person who was very big in the club that actually, yeah, I suppose you're doing a good job, too good a job, and, and these people are coming in for some of our coaches, which, again, uh, I'd never see it as a reflection of me. I see it as a reflection of they wanted to learn and become better. They take ownership, and I just sure. help that pathway and shape it a little bit, give them opportunity. Just on that, then, would that ever influence, you know, and there's no, there's no right wrong to this, but would that ever influence how you would then, how far you would go with them? Knowing that actually, do you know what? It's causing us a bit of an issue because we're making it coaches so good. They're leaving us. Yeah. Um, no. Maybe not even on a personal level. It might be from, you know, from higher up saying, yeah, just rein it back in. We don't want them to be that good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was more of a problem in the sense of, like we spoke earlier, you know, good coaches are, are getting harder to find. Um mm at that level of what you want in an academy. So it's like, 
it's not just a B licence minimum criteria. It's, it's a B licence, but it's not a B licence piece of paper. We want a B licence piece oh, of paper yeah. with a coach that can actually coach at B licence level. Um, and then within that, personality, do they fit the current team of coaches we've got around the club, etc. And I think at that club, um, we had them people. We had some really good people. There was, I think one of the things I taught, uh, and you know me well enough, Yaz, I think one of the things that I'd like to think I taught people was it's okay to debate. It's okay to not agree. Mm. You almost get better answers and, and outcomes if you don't yeah. agree. Um, I think some of them at first might have thought I was uh, argumentative when they realised now and when I see them now, um, and we've got a couple of them at the club here now, they actually have spoke to me and said the, the, the power of that, we didn't get it first, now we get it. Um, would I, did it affect how I work with them? No. Uh, I think I said at the start, yes, genuinely, uh, hand on my heart, I'm all about the people. So whether it's our club or your club or another club or uh, another local club, if that's where you deserve to be and that's where you want to go, go. If I help shape that along the way, fantastic. And I think that comes from, I've had some really good people around me, uh, Dave Stevens. Dennis Mortimer, Ian Cooper. Now at this club with uh, Mikhail Saul, Rich Stevens, uh, Miguel Lira. I've had some people that have taught me um, good things, things to do, things not to do. Uh, I think it's really important we identify as people um, what I need to take from my toolbox. So as an example, yes, knowing you, what can I take from Yas that I, it's not currently in my toolbox? Mm. And what bit do I like? And what do I bit do I like from Rich? What bit do I like from Mick? What do I like from Kyle? From Dan? You know, looking at our PDP and being around the coach, some very experienced people. Mm. What bits do I want to take? I don't want to be them. I want to be me, and authentic. But, yeah. but I appreciate. I sort of have this. If I'm if I'm fifty percent of what I keep, what I keep, and take bits from everyone else. Yeah, Mate, that's them are the bits, and and I think the key to that then, Yaz, is identifying when do I need to get that piece of equipment out the toolbox to use, and what does that picture look like? Yeah, and I think there's something really important there as well. Is that, that you said there that about what do I like about this person, what I like about that person, but sometimes it could be that you don't like the how of what of 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 that person, but the what of that person. Yes. Um, so you might like the what, and you might realise actually, do you know what? Um, doing it their way might not be authentic to me. Yeah. But I recognise that their way is getting them results, right? And you know, I mentioned that to say that you know, I think there's a lot of coaches out there who probably be in that position where they like the what you're getting out of it, but they don't like the how you how you go about doing it. And, and my only challenge to coaches, my you know, and encourage coaches as well, until you find your own how, go with this. Because yeah. you can see it's getting results, right? Yeah. And and then use that as a as almost like a bit of uh, a, a motivation to say, what well, I'm going to figure out my own how to that what. But until I get my own how, I'm going to use that. Because the thing you might actually understand, you know, you might. I think the best part about it, it gives you that understanding of well, actually, no, there's going to be different house with different environments. Yeah. 
and different different house for different players. And I think that bit's just as key, right? Because I think coming back to the piece about being authentic, and it's only going to you're only going to be able to implement anything you're authentic with. Otherwise, people are going to see through it, and especially top top players. Yeah, they'll recognise when you're when you know when when you're when you're not being yourself, and if you're not backing what you're really saying. Yeah, and, and it's a great point, and I, I'm very much, um, I've been called it a few times, I, I know myself very, very well. Um, I'm quite a strong character in the sense of, you know, if I believe in this, then I believe in it, and I, and I, I hold it true to my values. Mm. My integrity doesn't change, my beliefs don't change. Um if I see somebody do something and I think I like the outcome, but I don't like how they're doing it and I haven't got a way, I agree, absolutely agree with you. Maybe I need to use their way as a bit of a framework for now and then look at what can I hang off that framework that makes it mine. Um, but I genuinely, what you've just said is really important, mate, is, um, yeah, you're better off taking theirs until you know what yours is because sometimes things grow on us. Yeah. Sometimes we realise, and I'll go back to my first opening talk with uh, with Tony. Um, I was eleven years old when I met Tony. That was that was forty years ago, and it, his name stuck in my mind because there was lots of things that I look at and I think I don't know how he got us to be. We was quite a successful team, but it was never through coaching. Like I said, it was always about his his, his soft skills. Mm. From that, I've probably took him. And then hung off my bits about me because I think my biggest strength is uh, I like to ask the, the players questions. I genuinely believe, believe in player ownership, mate. I believe that we talk a lot about producing um, problem solvers, but yet some coaching sessions are designed to look pretty and nice probably for the people standing around the outside of the cage or whatever, so they go, oh, he's a good coach, look, the kids are loving it. But actually, there's no, there's no, there's no chaos. So yeah. I believe we, have to, we have to throw chaos in. Sometimes just throwing that grenade in and, and just seeing what the kids deal with. How they respond, yeah. They respond to it and you start to recognise leadership in players, the players that are happy to talk up and take accountability, responsibility, uh, lead. Even at the young ages, you see them. You see them. You've just got to know what you're looking for. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because you're talking about it from a perspective of it being a deliberate and intentional uh, tool as used for coaching, right? Yeah. Whereas I don't think that's always the case, though, is it? You're talking about the soft skills of Tony and Tony was probably just trying to get you guys to just play and have fun. But he was doing all those bits that were helping in, in the process, maybe not being conscious about it, right? Um, And it's quite interesting because I was recently having a conversation with a couple of players and um, they're at that kind of fifth, under 15, under 16 kind of age group and they're trying to, you know, maybe trying to break into that kind of elite pathway but maybe not quite able to get into it yet. So it's just maybe contingency planning, like what, what, how do we approach it? Where do we go with it? And then they say, no, yeah, we've got this lineup, we've got this lineup and all right, brilliant. Places that you've got lined up are all coaches that you know, which is great, which is fine. Um but I guess similarly to yourself, you know, I like to throw a grenade in here or there. Right? And the question I ask him is, well, have you ever actually learned anything from that coach? Have you ever actually thought about that? And not not to say the coaching isn't good, but don't just go there because there's a relationship. Because you probably loved playing for Tony, but how much did Tony really 
teach you. Yeah. Does, yeah. does that make sense? Like Absolutely. consciously. And yeah. I think I think it's such an important thing for players at that stage of the journey, in any stage really, to consider. Am I going just because I've had, I've got a good relationship? Yeah, you might have had a good relationship, but how far is that coach able to now take you? If yeah. they haven't really taught you anything up until now, what makes you think they're going to teach you anything now? Because yeah. um, you know, I you know, the one thing that's, in my opinion, just a fact, we don't need to exist in this game because the players will play without us. Absolutely. And the cream will always rise to the top. So there's always going to be players that are going to be the top players. There's always going to be players that are going to be there or thereabouts. But when the coaches come in, is can the coaches make those players who are there or thereabouts become top players and vice versa? And that's only going to happen through good coaching. Yes, there's an element and there's an argument for the environment that you set. And of course, all that stuff is important. But you can have the best environment in the world. But if there's no coaching taking place, you're only going to go so far with it. Whereas yeah. I do feel like on the flip end, you could have somewhat a... You could have you could have more success in some situations where there's maybe a little bit more of a toxic environment, but good coaching taking place because then it becomes individualized, right? So, you know, just just talk to that a little bit in terms of how important you think that is for coaches to actually think. Well, I'm actually yeah, I've got a great relationship with these players, but I'm actually helping them. Or on the flip side, for a player, maybe that might be listening to or a parent that might be listening to for their players. And actually, what does has that coach ever actually coached our player? Because, you know, you, we're talking about perceptions here, right? You're talking about that pretty looking practice that looks like good coaching because that's what the perception is. But really, is there any coaching taking place at all? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think I think it's something I'm quite passionate about, Yes, in the sense of um, I still have uh, young two young sons. One of them plays grassroots football, so I'm still in and around it and I'm watching it and Sometimes I hear conversations if, if if I overhear someone say, "Oh, there's a scout here from this place or that place," and and then I hear people say, "Oh, well, I, I don't want none of our players to go there. I don't want them to leave us because you know we're, we're doing well and we're going to win the league this year, but we need these players." And I almost think, selfishly, I I, I have a grudge about that because I just think you know we should want those players to move on yeah i've heard when i was an edge k i heard uh conversations around people saying well these clubs come in and take our players and then six weeks later they tell them they're not good enough and that player then thinks they can come back to my club and i tell them well no your space is gone and i'm like wow really so you you're almost holding it against them because they're trying to be better like you don't see it as pat yourself on the back you, you're helping these young kids maybe a, part achieve a dream you know the fact that they've got there is testament to maybe your coaching and it's kind you of like you and your head of coaching all right yeah you should be proud of that but the amount that aren't um but then at the same time you've got the coach to say oh no no look success to me is you know listen if if we get relegated but two of our players have gone to uh two academies and been signed you know that's that's the best season we can have and i'm like wow you know thank you that we still got good people in that in that part of it and I think that's where education needs to to go now and I think I guess like you said yes uh, success is different for everybody what does it look like that perfect practice is there actual coaching taking place is it just facilitated um I, I think if it's facilitated where it's it's a lovely session it's all working well there's no real decisions to be made it's it's all hunky-dory the kids are doing this that and the other really good I almost look and think that's coach-centred, not player-centred, because the coach is thinking about what he looks like from the outside looking in. And I just rather, I'd love a parent to say to me after, mate, I've just watched your session. 
the kids were all over the place. For the first 10 minutes, they didn't have a clue what they were doing. Um, not sure your coaching is brilliant. I'd say, okay, brilliant, great observation. What did it look like towards the end of the session? Yeah, it got better. Okay, thank you very much. There's the compliment. It got better. Did I make it better? No, no, the kids struggled and worked out for themselves. Thank you. There's my compliment, mate. Because if we don't, if we don't allow that to happen, we won't produce good decision makers. We won't produce problem solvers. Yeah. And it's, and it's almost like embrace that fear of, as a coach, just embrace that fear of it doesn't have to look brilliant. What has to happen is the kids come away and go, me, that was really challenging tonight. I, I struggled with that a little bit. At the end, I, I realised, you know, I needed to do this better, that better. Okay, fantastic. Do you think it will make you better? Yeah, because on Sunday when we're playing Tottenham, they won't allow me to just turn. They'll, they'll be there pulling my shirt, being strong, physical. So I, I probably need to practice like that. Fantastic. Because like you said earlier, I think you used a good term. I can't quite remember what term was, but it was about making it as relevant and real to the game. It doesn't yeah. always have to look like a game. Yeah, representative design. Yeah, so just making sure, like, you know, in the game, people will get their hand in your back, they will hold your shirt. If we don't practice that sometimes, how do I deal with it in a game? But do you know what's really important there, I think, Neil, just to highlight? I think we actually need to coach those bits as well. Yeah, yeah. push them pull their shirt, do that stuff, because that's what's going to happen in a game. And it's not, we're not, and I, I think I was, co- I was doing a, delivering a course on uh, just before the weekend. And I think sometimes, even in a coach development capacity, you've got to get people to understand just how the, I, I, I talk about this all the time, but the game is just a bunch of patterns, Right. There are some things that just happen and they happen again and again and again. Obviously, there's going to be subtle differences, but the, the the concept of what is happening in front of you is going to happen again and it's going to happen again. It's how often can you notice what it's what is leading towards that becoming a thing and what happens off, off the back end of that becoming a thing or, be, or being a thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it's <clears throat> one, we talk about coach education and go back a few years ago when I, I think I, when I did my UA for B and I think I just remember one phrase my coach, the coach educator saying at the time and it's always stuck with me and I've always used it ever since, right? And I can't remember what it was that happened specifically, but it's almost, he was speaking about a certain situation, it then happened and he goes, look, I didn't make that up. It just happened. I didn't tell him to do that. That's what happened. It was because th- there's a pattern, right? And it's always stuck with me ever since then. And I've always used it with my players. It's like, so that they understand and say, well, look, I'm not just telling you this because it's what I think. That has happened. Or this is a little subtle thing that, like you said, you, know, you talk about stop, stand still, you know, doing that intervention. Right, Neil, come and stand over here for a second. I just want you to move over to a yard or two. What you often see, sometimes you see, well, because I've moved Neil, John over there is going to take a step to the right. Or, you know, Tyrone over there is going to take a step to the left and tuck in a little bit more. And it's like, whoa, hold on a second. Did anyone see what John and Tyrone just did there? Well, they just moved in, didn't they? Well, why did they do that? Because they recognise that there's a pattern exi- about to occur. Yeah. And they're picking up on it. And it's just like getting the players and even the coaches to understand that these things just keep happening. And you just have to keep noticing them. So I guess, you know, coming back coming back to your journey then, and, you know, even when you're on coaching, how do you get the players to... 
and even the coaches that you saw, but you saw my working in your grassroots environment with your son and maybe not coaching the team, but maybe supporting the coach. Well, how do we, what are your thoughts on how we get coaches to start to recognise these patterns? I think the, I hate, I hate saying this. To, and, and when I say I hate saying it, I, because people take it literally, the game will teach Simple, right? the patterns. <laughs> yeah, as if you go back to our, our A licence, we was, we was the guinea pig group, wasn't we? Where the where that transition was between the old yeah. and the new, and and, and I think um, Bish turned round uh, on the first day and said, "Look, one thing you all learn is we can't tell you what will or won't happen in the game or in your session because players will be players, people are people. They'll do what they want to do." And I think that was a really important message because there was a situation where. I think it, I said something and somebody said, no, that won't happen. It was like, well, we were just told it. You can't say that. So I took that then to heart in the sense of, I now let my players know, look, everything we show you is just a picture. And yeah. it's just a picture that may or may not happen. But at some stage during your career, whether that's grassroots, professional, semi-professional, you'll have a moment where you'll go, ah, I remember, I remember Neil yeah. teaching us this, or Neil showing us this, and it's like I'm, I haven't showed you the game showing you all the time. Yeah, if it doesn't it's come there out in front of you, absolutely, and and it's almost like, and this is why I have these conversations now, yes, with uh, with people uh, who are valid friends, uh, coaches, and I talk about surely if we're going to produce players, we really need to produce players that can play in the now. Yes. Like, here's the pattern, great. Oh, Yaz has just stopped us playing that. Oh, I'm going to fall apart because I don't know what. No, no, this is the now then. So what else can I, oh, I might have to go on then. This comes back to what you said earlier. And I, I think you, you, we kind of we kind of glossed, glossed over it a little bit. But that bit about your level two, stop, stand still, right. I want to do it, I want to do it like this. And because they were cheating, because they knew what was coming next, you're coaching a bit. Well, okay, well, but you're even making them aware of that. Now, if that, no, what, what was the situation? Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Right, what are we trying to achieve? Okay, brilliant. What would stop us from achieving? Right, brilliant. If they did that, now what do we do? So they can, like you said, work in the now and play in the now because it's, and it, again, it's a phrase that's always kind of stuck with me. And I'm sure, I'm sure you had this in your journey as well where you've got to be able to coach the what and then the what if. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Because that bit I think is so important because it's almost like if you want to get back to that piece around the pretty practice, well, actually, the pretty practice is only working because you're telling people only what they can do and not what if. Yes. I.e., Neil, you can only play the ball there. And yeah. yes, you can only block that pass. You can't do anything else. Therefore, you're, it, it becomes less representative because that's not what the game tells us. Yeah. It doesn't allow me to respond to you. And I, you know, it's it, a phrase that I came across recently. And I, 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 I believe it was Bruce Lee that said this, um, that my technique is in response to your technique. Because he said, Bruce, how, you know, I, I think the question was asked to him essentially was, how did you get so good at this? Because I didn't, I just got, it didn't, it's not me getting good at it, it's me responding. And I'm responding to what you're doing. And yeah. fundamentally, that's what the game is, right? And he's picking up on, in, in his context, maybe certain cues and triggers about how people are approaching him, whether it's, oh, they're raising their hand in this way, so now I've got to raise them. And whatever that looks like, the same thing exists in football and any other, in every other course of life. We talk about anticipation being one of the most highly sought after skills in um, expert kind of areas within the game, right? For an individual, it's like, well, anticipation is based on one thing. You're reading the patterns, yeah. but you're reading it quicker than the opposition are reading it. And even if they're not conscious about what they're doing, you're still utilizing that pattern to, you know, to identify what is a probable outcome. Yeah. You know, we talk about the little details. Like for instance, if I'm now opening my hips, well, actually opening my hips means I'm probably going to open up and try and play that direction or whatever that looks like. And it's actually, well, that's a pattern in itself. Yeah. And, and I think that bit for me gets overlooked far too often today if at all covered at all yeah I, I, that word anticipation like if we could bottle it we'd be billionaires because it's worth a fortune can i coach it i can guide you towards like you say so for me a trigger might be to my player stay inside the pitch as the center back opens his hips up to play to a fullback i might start stealing a yard or two as his foot yes. goes back, there's another trigger. It looks like he's going to pass. Now I'm going to get there as quick as I can as the ball travels. Yeah. But telling them that and repeating that and lots of repetitions, great. But in the game, in the moment, with everything else that's going on, the voices, the coaches, yeah. the teammates, the opposition, I've got to be able to do that autonomously. And yeah, 100%. And, and that's where the, these reading these triggers. So we're talking about anticipation, but actually... If you can, if you're a really good uh, reader of the game, if you study the game, we talk about as coaches, you know, be a student of the game. Players need to be a student of the game. They mm. need to want to. And I, and I think we've had these conversations around our club uh, a few times with, with people. Um, 
how many of these academy kids go home and watch football like we would have? I don't think they do. I don't think they do. So I'll go back to ours. We weren't really coached, but my, my dad took me to football to the villa every weekend. I, I went there if it was a home game from the age of six, seven, all the way through. And, I, and now I still watch football. And I look at that and think that's probably what taught me how to read a game more than any coaches ever. Because the coach, well, I can only read what he's doing at that given time. Watching the game, uh, my oldest son used to play centre mid, and uh, at the time, Yaya Torre was uh, the one to watch. Um, and I used to say to him, Villa are playing Man City, don't watch Villa, watch Yaya Torre. What does he do and when does he do it? What makes him do that? And he was 11 at the time, mate. And now when I look back or if I question my night, I'd say, Dad, that was the best learning I ever had. Because I was just, he was teaching me how to watch situations build so that I can recognise those situations. And I'm just not sure young kids watch that much football. They get home after training and it's straight to an Xbox or a PlayStation. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I think you're spot on. And I think one of the key things, sorry, just to cut you there, is that even with coaches, I don't think it's so much that they don't watch the game, but they watch the ball. They're not observing the game, right? And, and the little things, because the, the bottom line is, you know, and I've always said this, is that, look, Neil's on the ball, I can't help him. Neil's, 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 Neil's in the world of his own problems, right? There's nothing I'm going to say right now that's going to help him. It's probably going to hinder him. Um, and not, not categorically 100%, but I think that I think I do believe that fundamentally, if you're on the ball, there's only so much I can do for you. So if I'm observing the game and I can see what's happening away from it and around it, those are the people that can really help yeah. because they're, they're less involved in it. There's probably an element of a slightly a different element of pressure. Maybe I wouldn't say less pressure, but different pressures they're dealing with, but the pressures they're dealing with don't come with maybe the same anxieties and the same, the same kind of consequences that there might be for the person on the ball, if you like. So I think it's just about helping people, like you said, become students of the game in a way where they're, they're, they're observing it. They're actually watching. They're looking out for the. I remember just in, I was doing helping coaching training session a couple of days ago, and every time the board go up, the centre backs just stand there watching the game. It's like, hold on, the game's going on. Yeah, yeah. Move with it. Yeah. Move with the game. Like literally, get get like don't switch off. Like you can't switch off because there's there's never a dead moment in the game. Yeah. Like even if it is as little as you you might stand still, but you can't be doing nothing you can't be inactive you can't be ball watching watch where everyone else is because that split second where someone else is watching the game when you're not that's when they're going to catch you out because they're looking at you they're seeing that you're not actually paying attention to them and you're paying attention to the ball all of a sudden they've now seen the pattern well my player is about to nick it i'm on the run yeah like it's just again it's helping players to understand that piece but i think it's Again, we spoke off air about you know the coach development piece in terms of where that's gone and where that's come from. What what are your thoughts on that? You know, do you, what what do you see as some of the key benefits in terms of where it's gone? And you mentioned that obviously we were the, you know if you like the guinea guinea pig uh, group for the transition of the A license. What would you say some of the positives were from that experience? Yeah, so I'm just going to answer the, uh, a question that you. That you just spoke about first, mate. Um, sorry, a question. What I just want to jump in where you spoke about the looking, getting people to look away from the ball, um, and it's it's key really. Two thousand and nine, I went and done my A license prep course, 
and I'd done it at the David Beckham Centre in London in Greenwich and uh, Ted Dale, Steve Rutter, Jeff Pike were delivering the, the course, a really good company, you know, fantastic educators, very high profile people. Um, and the reason I then went to do my A licensing, I think we, we do it in 2016, was it? Yes, I think early 2016, February. Uh, yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, February 2016. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, the reason I didn't do it in 2009 was I'm very, very conscious of I live what I say. You, you can get qualified quick, you don't get good quick. Seven years later, I completed my A licence because in 2009, what I realised was Jeff Pike was coaching at the time. There was 30 of us mites up on the side of the pitch. Um, and the fullback had the ball, played into a centre mid. And then they stopped it and they said, right, stop. What have you saw? So it was about being brave then. But, as the fullback got the ball, as he opened up, the centre mid dropped in, got himself on the ball. Brilliant. Okay, good. That's what happened. On the centre mid's touch, what else happened? Oh, he faced forward. He done. Okay. Anything else? No. Anything from anyone else? Everyone was like either not brave enough to answer, or or didn't see like I didn't see. He said, right. Uh, number nine on the centre mid's touch. What did you look to do? Show us. And he, he arced his run and pulled off to make a forward run. And he said, how many of you saw that? Not one hand went up. That's what made me realise I'm not ready for this. I'm still looking at the ball in the first phase. Yeah. I haven't, as that ball comes to centre, I'm not even looking what the nine, the 11, the sevens do. I'm still following the ball. And I think there's something really subtle in what you said there, just to pause you for a second, is that it's not that you're not, you're not, you're not looking for it. You're not even considering it to be Absolutely. a thing. Absolutely. And and I, I had to then, because of me being me and genuinely, I live. If you're not ready, it's okay. It's not a race. Be good at what you are. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to stay as a B licensed coach, but I'm going to be an even better bit. I'm going to concentrate now on. Can I put on any B licensed session, phase of play, topic, call it what you like? Can I do it and can I do it the best? And that's what I focused on being the best B licence coach could be. I didn't, I, I realise I don't need to be an A licence. I'm not there yet. And I think that's really, I just wanted to jump back on yeah. that because I thought it was really important. And I guess that would be my message to anyone now young coming through. It's not a race. It's a, a, Your B licence will get you into our club cause, on a CV because you won't interview you. But then you've got to go and deliver it. And that's where you'll fall apart. You can't hide. Like we say to players, there's nowhere to hide on a pitch. Coaching's the same. You can have the piece of paper. But when we say, brilliant, lovely, yep, we've got him in. Um, he's got everything we need. Brilliant, just want him to run a session. That's what you're going to be judged on. So make sure you, you know, take your time. Be where you are. Know yourself. I guess it's about knowing yourself. I, I was very conscious of me. I knew me. And yeah. I was happy to say, I'm not ready yet. I think there's, I'm going to question that. I'm going to challenge that. Is it that you knew you or you accepted that that's where you were? Because I think there's a fundamental difference, right? Because there's a lot of coaches, I think they probably know where they're at. Yeah. And they don't want to face that. Do you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I've learned something. Yes, I, you're right. I think I just accepted this is where I'm at, you know. So, yeah. 
I just accepted it. I just thought, you know, I'm, I'm not ready. Yeah, because I think, I think one of the things I've observed in my experience, especially in the last couple of years, doing a lot more of the coach mentoring and the coach education stuff specifically, is that there's a lot of coaches who are maybe not even aware of these things because often they're in environments where they're seen as the senior coach or they're seen as the one that's with the, the most knowledgeable. So even the people around them aren't really challenging them. Yeah. Because they're assuming that this person knows what they're talking about, which is which is fine. I get it. But then the question I always say to the challenge I always have to coaches rather is get yourself around people that you think are better than yeah. and those that you're not better than. Yeah. Because they're going to both teach you different things. Right. And you and, and especially if you're working alongside coaches who you think you're better than when you're supporting them in their development, if that's something you're actively trying to do, you're going to want to be 100% sure that you're giving them the right information. So that in itself should challenge you to do what you need to do. But then, you know, just talk about that a little bit briefly, because, you know, you talked about the B licence and you recognise that at that point you wanted to just go away and just really consolidate becoming a, a solid B licence coach. Yeah. What, what what does that look like for you? Because obviously that that even that in its perceptions has changed massively over the years as well. Yeah, yeah. So um, B licence was amazing. Um, I done it at Lily Shaw, so before St George's Park was was even thought of. Um, again, educators, uh, Ted Dale, Derek Egan, uh, Mike Pedgick was a course director. It was the biggest one they ever held. They it was sixty candidates on there, and they had three groups of twenty all running at the same time. I believe when I spoke to Ted last, he said they'd never ever done it again. Because uh, it was a, you know, it was a big job. Um, really great experience. Come away from there, um, lots and lots of new ideas. Brain was buzzing. It was really intense. It was seven days, I think, or yeah, I think it was seven days at Lily Shore. Up at seven, canteen for eight. Out on the pitches at nine. Back in the lecture theatre at half seven. Back in your rooms about nine, half nine. So there was no time to digest anything because you you was knackered. You went to sleep. You woke up, breakfast, back on the pitch. Did it, um, and and we spoke about how coach education's changed. And uh, I think for me, I I I I I kind of love that pressure, but at the same time I did fear it. But I still think that's the best way. So the new way now of it's about Neil's journey and Neil can take it when he wants. And I, I think it's lovely. It's great. But I think we lose a little bit of people. People almost have this. And even if they think they don't, I think subconsciously they're still thinking, well, it doesn't matter because I'm on a journey, which means at some point that journey ends and I get my qualification. And I think I understand football saying that's the best way. It's the way people like to learn today. I doubt whether we'd learn to drive that way. Oh, you're just going to drive for so many months and then you'll you'll get your driving license anyway, you know, because we think that's the yep. best way you'd like to learn. Pass and fail is no. like a, well, it's too scary. You'll be surprised, you know, you'll be surprised. Yeah, yeah, well, again, <laughs> it was a long time ago, yeah, so I passed my test, but yeah, I, I just think, it, again, education, you know, you don't get a degree by just being there. You, you, you still got to produce some work that says this is good enough. Um, and I think yeah. every person in uni would be thinking, I, I, I want to get a first, but if I've got a 2-1 or a 2, I'll get something rather than a fail. 
I think having that element. But do, do I think just on that, you know, just you're talking about the degree there. Sorry to cut you. I think it's really important to highlight. This. There's a lot of people that are going down the route of taking coaching degrees now, um, and some are even, I guess, in some ways trying to challenge the system that exists. In that they're saying, well, no, I've got a coaching degree, but so that means I should be on, on you know, should be good enough to be a UA for C or a UA for B coach. Yeah, uh, I think we. I think what would be really good is these. Um, I have heard that it branded around a bit. I'm hoping that it exists, uh, almost like a, an apprenticeship degree. So I'm actually doing a degree level seven qual, but with the practical element in a in a professional yeah. environment. I think that then might means I come out with the degree, which is great, but I also come out with. The practical experience. I can actually yeah. put it into practice. I, I think that's that would be fantastic. Uh, and again, my son's doing his, his coaching degree, but he also comes into the club and works in the pre-academy. So he's actually living it and doing the theory and practical side of it. Um, yeah, I hope that answers your question. There was a second part to your question. Yeah, you? just the transition of the you know coach education in terms of how it's gone in that. Obviously, we were part of that A license cohort. Yeah. And then, you know, what were you? What were some of the key? You know, what do you think were some of the real key benefits of going through that pathway for you? Yeah, I, I, I think selfishly for me, um, seeing what it was going to look like and how somebody shaped something at that level. Um, I always think the best part of any course she has is uh, off the grass, the social side in the bar, in the restaurant, over dinner, breakfast, chatting with people meeting yourself, then relationships and that stay as, as lifelong friends. Um, I always think they're the real valuable things. The course in itself uh, was very different to what I expected. Um, one of the things I wish we had, because I'd like to think the idea behind our course and the next course and the next course was the evaluation side, the plan, do, review. Okay, we've just run this first one. What's the feedback? Right, okay, they wanted a bit more of that, not enough of that. Right, let's put that in. Right, what's the feedback? I didn't. And by three or four course standards, you go, right, brilliant. We've got it. The feedback yeah. is everyone's loving it. It's the right mix of everything. Yeah. And, and, and if I'm wrong, mate, please let me know. But I don't remember being asked to review that course or do an evaluation on that course on what we felt was good, what, what, what we would have liked more of or less of. Uh, so I think nah. they missed the trick, really. But I might be wrong. No, I, th I think you're spot on, but I think um, I'm now thinking back to it, because actually when we initially applied, you can correct me if I'm wrong, we we did still under apply under it being a part one. Yes. And it, it actually obviously didn't transpire in that way. No. Um, but we weren't aware of that until we actually got on the course, yes. which is fine. Yeah. But I think the way that it, it, so, yeah, we came on thinking it was going to be a part one leading into a part two. Obviously, that never happened. Um, so I think they, they probably he's quite possibly did miss a trip but I think it was you know I, I say that to say I think they were still going through the process of identifying right what is this actually going to look like and I think I think you're spot on I think had they had that those touch points of feedback um, in between or even whilst the block was going on yeah. it probably would allow them to plan for the next block a little bit better and then potentially for the next cohort and so on and so forth so I think that, yeah I don't think I ever remember getting formally asked for any uh, uh, feedback and reviews but then I think the other side of it, you're never, you're never going to please everyone, are you? No, 
No, and, um, I, and I think if you set out to try and please everybody, you, you probably failed already. Yeah. Going back to that now, and I'm smiling because I remember we did, we signed up for a part one, we paid X amount of money, and uh, I actually paid for it out of my own business money, out of my own pocket. Yeah. place where I was working said dead pay, but obviously that comes with, but if you leave, you pay this much back that one. I just thought, you know yeah. what? So two reasons, yes. It was uh, my own motivation then to say, yeah, I, I an investment in yourself. Yeah, I've, I've got to come away with some. I can't spend, I'm not going to go into Harvey Nichols and put that much money on the desk and walk out without an item of clothing. So I've got to come away with this. So it made me better and, and focus more. Uh, but the best part about that, and I, I actually remember now, we were all sitting down and they actually said, uh, you paid for your part one. The good news is, yes, uh, you won't pay any more. Yeah, uh, it's going to be rolled <laughs> up. It was almost like I thought, brilliant. So I think that was the first time I enabled myself to smile on that course because uh, you get a bit of imposter syndrome, don't you? I'm already forty. Have I invested wisely? I, I had a young family at the time. Was it the right thing to do? Um, my partner, who's she works in swimming, she's been amazing, mate. Because she might have wanted to progress her pathway. She allowed me to progress mine. So I can't thank yeah. them enough. The times of yourself, I remember meeting you, Yaz, and um, I think you just had your first daughter, wasn't very old. That's right, yeah. So yeah. again, sacrifices our family takes so we can selfishly go on this pathway and journey. And at the end of it, it's got to provide because the sacrifices yeah. from them, the time away. The 100%. So I think, yeah, I think that was... Probably the big, the first time I smiled on that course was like, ah, oh, I haven't got to spend any more. Fantastic, thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a great course. Listen, again, uh, Wayne Burnett was my in-house tutor, and Craig Hinton signed me off at the end of it. Um, two great people, two people that were going through their own process of just jumping yeah. on as tutors, and that's right, that's right. I've seen them grow, and uh, every now and again, I will email Wayne just to say. Hope you remember, mate. Thank you. Learned a lot. Hope yeah. you good. Well, well, and he always responds. So I think them relationships, mine and yours. Yeah. Uh, Rob, uh, you know, it, I think they're massive on them courses. I think that's the big people need to really focus on the networking opportunities. Hundred percent. I think you hit it you hit it on the nail earlier on as well. In that those conversations, I think we, people always talk about it. You know, those informal conversations that you have away from the actual content itself, or even if it's just outside of the formal class setting right where you just you just you know just conversing over whatever was discussed you know what was the key takeaways for you, you know and, and having those debates and i think having those healthy debates was like well actually no i think it's i think i'd probably do it this way and and i think that's the beauty of it right and but i think it's i think the key thing is that by that stage of your journey anyone who's there is probably there with a deliberate and intentional outcome yeah Yes, I do want to get the qualification, but I also really want to get better. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably the harder bit to try and get across in the earlier pathway. Yeah. Right. Whereas at maybe at level one or even at UA for C and even even to some extent UA for B, because you know, you gave a perfect example of yourself, you know, having done the prep course in two thousand and nine. It's interesting because I actually I think I was on the last ever prep course they did. Right. Um. Just before we did uh, did that A license, I think it was about six seven months before that. Um. And I don't think they ever ran one after that. But just to really understand 
I remember this again. I remember like, like it was yesterday. I think it was Guy Whittingham. Came it was Guy Whittingham, Ted Dell, um, somewhere up in, in West London. And went on the course, and then they were just talking about the situation about, right, what well, UEFA A license, what is this? What does it mean to be UEFA A license coach? And uh, I'm para- paraphrasing, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it's close to this. It was something along the lines of um, it's international break. Um, you've got two players that have been kept behind because their country's not playing. You've got 10 footballs because the, care- the caretaker's lost the keys. There's a bag of footballs. You've got you got a set of cones, and you've got a couple of white lines. You've got sixty minutes with these two players, and you've got to keep them engaged for a whole hour. Thinking, all right. Um, because in the two players, they're Portuguese and they're Pepe and Ronaldo. I thought, I thought blimey, all right. So that that you you see, so that that experience that you described about being on the A, you know, they're going on the A license prep, and you think, yeah, I'm not ready for this. Yeah. For me, it was slightly different. I thought, I thought I'm not ready for this, but yeah, I'm ready to take the challenge on, right? So I think it was perfect for me, and it was just really kind of putting into perspective at that time what it actually meant, in my opinion. And you know, it, it, different people are going to th- see it differently, but what it actually meant to be able to become a UEFA A license coach. Yeah, yeah. That it was that real, that real prestige, that real like, right? Yeah, you, you've you've done well. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? You, you've done well. You, uh, and that that was that was the feeling I got. I'm not so sure that's the case anymore. I think maybe people have that perception of prestige, but they don't really appreciate it until they see what a, 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 an A licensed coach should look like or could look like. And it's interesting because I remember about a year ago I, I started mentoring a coach. Um. And there was another coach who introduced me to this coach who I'd been mentoring for a couple of years. And, and, I, and I don't say this to, 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 in any particular way, but he's like, he, the guy that I was mentoring introduced me to this other guy. And he was, like, he was telling this other guy about me as an example. He goes, yeah, you need to meet this guy. You know, he's an A-license coach. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen A-license coach. I know B-license coaches. You know, I, work, I work with him. And it's like, no, 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 you don't understand. This guy's an A-license coach. Like, an actual A-license coach. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's... It's interesting because, you know, as you well know, there's going to be people that have got qualifications, who don't have qualifications, but it doesn't necessarily represent who they are and what they can pr- produce, right? Um, and then a year a year later, he's like, okay, and I, I get what he meant now. I get what he meant about you but actually being an A-licensed coach. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, it's got nothing to do with the qualification, but it's just, I think the appreciation I have for those finer things it, within it, the nuances that exist within it. And I'm not saying I'm I'm, I'm great at all. I'm not saying that in, in any way, shape or form, but it's the considerations. The fact that I'm even considering the, these things allows me to have the potential to be these things, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I think at the time, yes, and, and I don't quote me on the numbers, but I think when we went through, there was probably only about, I don't know, 3,000 AI licensed coaches in the, in the whole country. And now I don't know what the number is, yeah. but that that's because there was a you know you had to be good, you had to mm-hmm. deserve it, you had to you had to show that I'm, I I deserve this award, you know, um, the prestige of it. I mean, I mean, I think my mates were more proud of me than I was myself, really, mate, because they used to go, "No, so you, you're an A license, so that that would enable you to do this, this, and this." And I was like, "I believe so," and they were like. 
wow, that's mad, dude. Before all them years ago when you said you were going back to college, that you'd actually achieve this. And I was like, do you know what? You're right. I never did. I never thought. I, I, I didn't even think of an A licence. I was just, in fact, after my level two, I was just like, oh, this is amazing. And, um, you know, I, I think yeah, one of the things that I, I talk about is, um, and I keep going on about this, don't worry about getting qualified quick, get good quick. Uh, you, it takes a while to get good. From my level one to level two, I think it was 12 months. Yeah. Like that. But from level two to A for B was six years. From UA for B then to my A license actually starting was nine years or 10 years. So I put them, I wanted, I genuinely felt I wanted to be a good level two coach, a good UA for B coach. Now, can I be a good A license coach? The only thing I look at the A licenses is, and I guess I'm going to ask you the question, I'm going to reverse roles a little bit here. How many A license sessions have you run in the last seven years since being an A license coach? When, when you, and yeah. so you consider what the A licence, what, what we thought it was at the time. So it's 11 v 11, yeah. it's, it's this. Do you, do you know what? Um, just to give context, so I've done a lot more coach development in the recent years than I have coaching. Yeah. Um, but following the A licence itself, I'd probably say about two years worth because I was actively coaching at that point, like yeah. full on. And I, so I was doing, and I had the space available to do it. Yeah. So I was doing a lot of kind of, you know, phase of play work, you know, that 11 v 11 work. So, you know, but I also appreciate and understand that that's not a common thing for a lot of coaches to be able to do. Not because they're not trying to do it, not because they're not wanting to do it. Yeah. But just they don't have the the, the facilities or the, the space available to do that. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the things, I, the biggest things I took away from my a license experience in particular um and i don't know whether it was the it was the course itself which gave me this but i think it was more it was during the time where i was consolidating this for myself was the need and the importance for every practice to link back into the game yeah um and then i guess me being me and i think we've all got our own kind of things that we kind of really nailed down and have a real passion for to get into the nitty-gritty of for me that was the technical detail that was that the finer detail and the you know the little those little nuances that you talk about you know about opening the body all of that all of those little finer things is something that I think I've really attached myself to as a coach so when I'm observing the game these are the things I'm looking at so I'm not looking at it as a, as a whole picture and I'm breaking it down to the fine the finer detail right so I think for me it became easier for me to maybe again I don't know whether it was, I think the A-license definitely emphasised some of that yeah. I don't know if, uh, but it helped me, like I said, I was going through a consolidation period at a time where what I took away was, right, can I give a license detail without having it to be an 11 v 11? Yeah. And that's just how I, that's how I viewed my takeaway from it. Yeah. So, uh, and mate, you've just, that, that was my whole point and you've just, you've just answered it for how I did. Somebody asked me that question. That's why I said to, it's a great question because what is an A license session? Does it have to be 11 v 11 on a full-size pitch, you know? Um, and for me, what I said to him was, it doesn't have to be like that anymore. It's not always 11 v 11 on a full-size pitch. The detail you put within the session is the A-licence bit. I think well, that's... What, what, what I would say, just on that, though, I think really importantly, I think part of becoming the A-licence coach is the ability to be able to do it across that. 
which I think is getting maybe underappreciated and overlooked now. Because I think that in itself is a skill. I can give you a license detail working 4v4. I can yeah. give you a license detail working 6v6. Yeah, but can you do it 11v11 when yeah. everything is happening? Yeah, yeah. And and that's where, so I've watched, I, I still have this, um, I like to watch people work. I'm not in coach education anymore. I like to watch other coaches work. I'll go and watch the PDP because that's where I'm sort of, my day-to-day role is linked with those players. Um but I'm not always watching the players, I'm watching the coach, the multidisciplinaries, how they engage, how they act. One of the things I've noticed when I've watched uh, other people away from the club uh, or gone and watched people that say, oh, he's an A-licensed coach, I watch them doing the game. And I see the game at that level, mate. It's a game of chess, isn't it? I think you mentioned it earlier, but you didn't use chess as the thing. It's almost like I'm going to react. You use Bruce Lee as a method what Yaz does in his team, how do I counterbalance or counteract yeah. against that? So it's that, that's where the manager earns his money. Um, and what I found was, yeah, there are licensed coaches putting on A-licensed sessions or they're, they're now managing at a certain level of the game. But what I looked at was, they don't always see the problem in the now. Yeah. And I think that's the A-licensed bit for me. It's that, yeah. ah, look Look at what they're doing. You see how they yeah. the tens dropping in to create the overload. And but but, but that, that takes that takes time, though. Of course, absolutely. That takes time, and I, and I think that one of the biggest learnings for me during that period of time was I thought I was quite strong with that, and then I don't know if you remember remember one of the other guys on the course, Lev. Yeah, yeah. 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 So me and Lev actually ended up working together for a year right. with a, with another team um, off the back, of, and we both ended up completing our A licenses at that team, yeah. and. The one thing that really opened my eyes at the time was I thought I was good at that. But he was better, or I wouldn't say that he was better at me doing it, but he could do it quicker. Yeah. And it always bugged me. I was like, why is that? (laughs) Why can he see it after maybe like one or two moments? And it takes me three or four. And it was quite simple. Well, he's been doing it for 10 years longer than you, yes. Right. And it, it really kind of, at the time, not to say that I was arrogant or anything, but I think it kind of humbled me to say, Do you know what? Let me just let me just stay in my lane right now. Let me know where I need to work on, what I need to fix on. And then let me just nail that. Because that bit there, and that's when that's when again you know started talking about these these patterns, you know, we start to see it a lot quicker and you start to anticipate, right? You, sometimes you don't even need to see it anymore because you've you've seen it so many times in some way, shape, or form that you already know where the problem exists and what might be occurring as a you know, as a result of it. So I think that does take time, and I think that's the piece where the qualification can't teach you. Yeah, absolutely. That's time on the grass, that's actual time on the grass. So it's not just watching the games, it's watching it live in the moment. And, you know, if you are going to watch a game, and this is one of the biggest things, in it, and, I, and I think it's really important to highlight this as well, is that working with... Um, there's no right or wrong, but I think working with male players in particular, especially with boys yeah. in the academies, makes this 10 times harder. Right. Because you work outside of that environment, everything just slows down. Yeah, yeah. So you see it a lot quicker. Yeah. But you also see it a lot quicker because the game is moving slower. Yeah. So if you can start to do it in this environment, and even if your long-term ambition is to work in another one, if you can do it there, you should be able to do it anywhere, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
because fundamentally that you know you're not going to see anything different you're going to still see the same patterns that exist this is going to be some nuances that exist because of different reasons but the patterns exist and i think that's i think that's the hardest part is actually being able to do it with the speed of the game the way it is yeah 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 and i think that's again just it all goes back to reiterating uh one of my true values and beliefs in got to put the hours on the grass to be a good coach. The qualification is irrelevant. There's people out there with no qualifications in football, but they've yeah. been doing it 30, 40 years. They're as good as anybody you'll see. Because yeah. the paper isn't, the, the paper's not what makes it, is it? The paper gets you through the door. How you deliver the grass bit is what gets you in the jobs. Um, it's, a, it's a great way you just put it, because I think you're right. What's really humbling is, is like you said, is, I realise I just need to stay in my lane. And again, it goes back to me on that prep licence, just knowing I need. And I think that's probably the little bit we lack today. I don't know if the learners have changed. I think society, I definitely wasn't brought up by social media, didn't exist. Mobile phones didn't exist. My son always says to me, Dad, what phone did you have when you was like 12? I'm like, one that was on a wall in your nan's house that you (laughs) like this, you know, if we were looking. Um, So we, I think the, the parameters have changed because we didn't have the distractions then. Um, yeah. I know, Yaz, you're a lot younger than me. Um, but we didn't have those distractions, so I think we, we value things a little bit differently um, and, and how we take on process information. We know we've, mm. we've got to use our eyes and, and store it somewhere here, whereas yeah. today's learners probably don't need to know the answer to everything. They just need to know where do I find that answer? Yeah. What is it that I type into Google that will give me that answer? <laughs> Yeah, no, but, I mean, you say that, and I think it's such a good point because I think as much as Google can answer, there's some things that Google can't put into context. There you go. There you go. You'll get but, an answer from Google, <laughs> but you can't. But it comes back to the piece, and we go full circle. They don't get to feel it. They don't get to see it. Of course, it's just it's just text and, and t- and t- until they realise what it actually means in reality. Yeah, and that, and that, that takes it to see it. Um, no, no. Uh, some great insights and a good conversation man um first of all you know it's been great to see you massive massive massively appreciate you taking time out to obviously do this i think we should do it more often as well absolutely absolutely always a pleasure to chat with you no i'm just going to finish on this one then go back to your start of your coaching journey speak to yourself what's one thing that you wish you could tell yourself back then Knowing what you know now and all the experiences that you've had. That's a great question. The first thing that comes to mind is just enjoy it more. Embrace. Embrace not knowing the answer because you didn't need to be a better learner, I guess, would, would be the, the thing that I'd really tell myself. Because I did enjoy it, but there was times when, like, like we said, that pass or fail, yeah, there would have been an element of fear. It would have made me have to go away and learn and practice and revise and all those things that I probably weren't very good at when I was at school. Um, but yeah, just I'll, 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 ch- I'll challenge that though. Was it that you weren't good at it or you weren't passionate about what you were t- you were being asked to revise and learn about? Absolutely wasn't passionate. But but in football, that was the one thing that... And, and, and yes, I'm going to share this because I shared it with all my scholars. It, it amazes most. I left school without qualifications, really, mate, because I love school. I just hated being taught. Everything I've got now, 
up to level seven qualifications that are sit equivalent to are all after education school and yeah. something that I'm passionate about. And I think that, like you say, once you find something you're passionate about, and I think we touched on it earlier, looking at these FA educators and going, how do I get that job? You actually get paid to do, I do it for nothing, you know, is amazing. And I think that old saying, if you find something you're passionate about and do it as a job, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah. I haven't worked for the last 24 years, mate. I love every day and I, I, I'm, I'm thankful and blessed that I, I continue to do that and people give me the opportunity to work in their clubs. That's amazing. And, and, and long may that continue, Neil. Neil, it's been a pleasure, man. I really appreciate your time again and I wish you all the best, man. And, and likewise, mate, and let's uh, continue to stay in touch. Who the four, seven, eight years ago would have met and would be here today, mate. Uh, 100%. Friendship's massive, mate, and I, I value yours. No, I appreciate it. I really appreciate it, man. Neil, have a great one, man. And you, mate. Take care. Okay. See you soon. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.